Balak, the hidden meaning of the Bilam story. Many questions have rightly been asked about the story of Balak and Bilam and the would-be curses that turned into blessings. Was Bilam a true man of God, or was he a fraud, a magician, a sorcerer, a practitioner of dark arts? Did he have genuine powers? Was he really, as some of the sages said, the equal of Moses? Was he driven by the prospect of reward and honour from Moabites and Midianites, or was he motivated by animosity toward the Israelites and their seeming closeness to God? Why did God first tell him, not to go, then seemingly change his mind and tell him to go. What's the meaning of the episode of the talking donkey? Did it really happen, or was it, as Maimonides argued, a vision in Bilam's mind? These are real questions, they're much debated, but they're much more fundamental ones. What is the story doing here at all? The entire episode occurred away from the Israelites. No one from their side, not even Moses, was there to witness it. The only witnesses were Balak, Bilam, and some Moabite princes. Had the Israelites known the danger they were in and how they were saved from it, it would have given them pause for thought before engaging in immorality and idol worship with the Moabite women in the episode that follows on immediately from the story of Bilam. They would have known that the Moabites were not their friends. Even Moses wouldn't have known what happened had God not told him. In short, the Israelites were rescued from a danger they knew nothing about by a deliverance they knew nothing about. How then did it or could it affect them? Besides which, why did God need Bilam to go at all? He said no the first time. He could have said no the second time also. The curses would have been avoided, Israel would have been protected, and there would have been no need for the angel, the talking donkey, the various locations, the sacrifices, and the attempted curses. The entire drama seems to have been unnecessary. Why did God put into Bilam's mouth the extraordinary poetry that makes the blessings among the most lyrical passages in the Torah. All he needed Bilam to say, and Bilam did eventually say it, was the promise he gave to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Who was to be affected by this episode? What was the intended change it was meant to bring about? Who was its target audience? It didn't affect the Moabites. They proceeded to get their women to successfully entice the Israelite men. A plague then struck the Israelites, taking 24,000 lives. It didn't affect the Midianites, whose hostility to Israel was such that God later told Moses, treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. Several chapters later, God instructed Moses to take military vengeance against them. It didn't affect Bilam himself. The Torah is very subtle about this. First we read about the Moabite seduction of the Israelites and the deadly plague it caused. Then six chapters later we read that in the course of the war against the Midianites, Bilam was killed. Then several verses later we read they were the ones who followed Bilam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Pa'ar incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. In other words, having gone through What should surely have been a transformative experience of finding curses turned to blessings in his mouth, Bilam remained implacably opposed to the people he had blessed 
and seemingly to the God who'd put the words into his mouth, and was still capable of devising a plot to injure the Israelites. And it didn't change the Israelites, who remained vulnerable to the Moabites, the Midianites, and the enticements of sex, food, and foreign gods. It didn't change Moses, who left it to Pinchas to take the decisive act that stopped the plague and was soon thereafter told that Joshua would succeed him as leader. So if it didn't change the Moabites, or the Midianites, or the Israelites, or Bilam, or Moses, what was the point of the episode? What role did it play in the story of our people? Because it does play a significant role. In Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the people that the Moabites did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Bilam, son of Boar, from Petorian Aram Naharim, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God wouldn't listen to Bilam, but turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Joshua, when he came to renew the covenant after the conquest of the land, gave an abridged summary of Jewish history, singling out this event for attention. When Balak, son of Tzippor, king of Moab, was prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Bilam, son of Baor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Bilam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. The prophet Micha, younger contemporary of Isaiah, said in the name of God, My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Bilam, son of Baor, answered. Just before he delivers his famous summary of the religious life, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. At the culmination of the reforms instituted by Ezra and Nehemiah after the Babylonian exile, Nehemiah had the Torah read to the people, reminding them that an Ammonite or Moabite may not enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water, but hired Bilam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. So why the resonance of an event that had seemingly no impact on any of the parties involved, made no difference to what happened thereafter, yet was deemed to be so important that it occupied a central place in the telling of Israel's story by Moses, Joshua, Micha, and Nehemiah. The answer is fundamental. We search in vain for an explanation of why God should have made a covenant with the people who repeatedly proved to be ungrateful, disobedient, and faithless. God himself threatened twice to destroy the people after the golden calf and the episode of the spies. Toward the end of our parasha, he sent a plague against them. There were other religious peoples in the ancient world. The Torah calls Melchizedek, Abraham's contemporary, a priest of God Most High. Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, was a Midianite priest who gave his son-in-law sound advice as to how to lead. In the book of Yonah, during the storm, while the Hebrew prophet was sleeping, the Gentile sailors were praying. When the prophet arrived at Nineveh and delivered his warning, immediately the people repented, something that rarely happened in Judah or Israel. Malachi, last of the prophets, says, From where the sun rises to where it sets, my name is honoured among the nations, and everywhere incense and pure oblation are offered to my name, for my name is honoured among the nations, said the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. 
So why, if other nations respect God, why then choose Israel? The answer is love. Virtually all the prophets said so. God loves Israel. He loved Abraham. He loved Abraham's children. He's often exasperated by their conduct, but he cannot relinquish that love. He explains this to the prophet Hosea. Go and marry a woman who is unfaithful, he says. She'll break your heart. But you will still love her and take her back. Where, though, in the Torah does God express this love? Answer, in the blessings of Bilam. That is where he gives his voice to his feelings for this people. I see them from the mountaintops, gaze on them from the heights. This is a people that dwells apart, not reckoned among the nations. Lo, a people that rises like a lion, leaps up like the king of the beasts. How good are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. These famous words aren't Bilaams, they're gods. And they are the most eloquent expression of his love for this small, otherwise undistinguished people. Bilam, the pagan prophet, is the most unlikely vehicle for God's blessings. But that is God's way. He chooses the most unlikely people. He chose an aged, infertile couple, Abraham and Sarah, to be the grandparents of the Jewish people. He chose a man who couldn't speak, Moses, to be the mouthpiece of his word. He chose Bilam, who hated Israel, to be the messenger of his love. Moses says so explicitly, The Lord your God would not listen to Bilam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. That's what the story is about. It's not about Balak or Bilam or Moab or Midian or what happened next. It's about God's love for a people their strength, resilience, their willingness to be different, their family life, their tents and dwelling places, and their ability to outlive empires. I believe that if we follow the Rambam in saying that all God's acts have a moral message for us, then God is teaching us that love can turn curses into blessings. It's the only force capable of defeating hate. Love heals the wounds of the world. Shabbat Shalom.